Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. The good news of great joy for all people announced by the angels, uh, when Paul writes about this good news, or what becomes known as the gospel, okay, in Romans, he quotes a prophet from Isaiah. He quotes the prophet Isaiah, who says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. This is you. The angel came as a messenger from heaven to bring Good news. Jesus and John the Baptizer were the next to take that good news. And Jesus, in before his death and then after as well, commissioned ordinary people. That's you. I'm looking at you. Pretty ordinary. Ordinary people with good news, to be carriers of good news. And the, Isaiah says, you have beautiful feet. Look down at your feet this morning and say, beautiful. And beautiful on the mountains. The good news of peace and wholeness. Salvation. The good news that we carry is good news of peace. Ultimately, peace with God and through that peace with one another, no matter how tumultuous relationships can be. Peace with God and with one another and salvation. Fancy pants word for wholeness. Okay, wellness in every aspect of life, spirit, soul and body. The good news that the God of Israel is in charge. How many of you think that's good news? Hey, God's in charge. All right, another translation puts it this way, the ESV, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. And every author in the room said, amen. Who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. I like the word publish uh, because all of us, uh, particularly those of you, social, those of us on social media, good to remind ourselves when we are publishing Make sure you are a publisher, okay, of good news. And part of our good news expression is that peace has come, wholeness has come, and our God is in charge. And if there's one thing I want you to get out of this series in this term as we lead into Christmas, it's simply this. His news is good news. And if his news is good news, that means your good news is good news. Because you've been given his news. We've all heard it said, and I appreciate the sentiment, that no news is good news. That can be true. I know what that means. If you... Don't watch news or flick through news for a week. I promise you, you'll have a good week, okay? No news is good news. But don't mistake that to mean that there's no such thing as good news. It's not the same thing. There is, watch your news diet, wise thing to do, but there is such a thing as good news. And the scriptures, as we know, is full of that. His news is good news. We are a good news people. And we have news of great joy for all people, Peace, wholeness, and the news that says our God is in charge. And thank God, he's a benevolent God, not a malevolent God. He is not a dictator. He is not an oppressor. He is not a fascist ruler. He is a loving, loving and kind God. And that's why it's good news that our God is in charge. And so in this series, we're going to be taking a look at good news. We're going to be asking ourselves, what is so good about the good news? And what is my part that I have to play? What is there anything that I have to do about it? Good, good, Chad, let's do that. Now, for my part in this series, because I need a script, so I'm going to focus my attention on the sermons of the first followers of Jesus. Not so much their letters, but I'm going to look at the preaching 
from the early apostles, the followers and fishermen that followed Jesus, and uh, which is generally recorded in a book we call the Book of Acts. We've, it's come to have that term because the Book of Acts is full of what was historically known as the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But it's also a book not only of Acts, it's a book of announcements. It's not only a book of activity, it's a book of proclamation. And all through the book there are sermons, there are messages. And biblical sermons are all far shorter than what I do. The longest one you can read in about five minutes, okay? Amen, let's get back to New Testament Christianity. So, uh, there is New Testament sermons that are written down. It's a book of announcements. And today, I want to start by looking at Peter and looking at what good news he presented when he first preached. When Peter the Apostle preached, what was his good news declaration? And what we're going to see is a theme in his sermons, which is essentially this. Part of the good news message is this. The good news of Jesus is the message of total forgiveness. The good news is message of great joy, solid peace, a God that reigns, and part of the good news message, and one of the, thing, one of the reasons we can have joy and peace is because it is a message of total forgiveness. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So, we're going to open up to the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2. It is the birthday, as it were, of the church. Uh, 50 days or seven weeks after Jesus has died, and we're going to look at the preacher, the preaching of Peter. Okay? Amen. It's good to have Dave and Yvonne back this morning. How long have you two been away? Is that all? Okay. Martin, how long have you been away? Nine weeks, two and a half months? Okay. I shouldn't start because I'm getting everyone jealous and, uh, who haven't been anywhere. It's great to have you guys. Uh, you're just sitting right dead centre, so I couldn't help it. Um, Dad, we thank you so much this morning for speaking to our hearts. We do continue to worship you and acknowledge you, and we do our best to submit our minds and our spirits to you to receive truth today. Your news is good news, and we give our hearts and our minds permission to embrace it, even if it seems radical. We embrace your radical message today. Amen. Amen. Total forgiveness, good news of great joy. So here we are at the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit comes as Jesus promised he would. And uh, it seems like there's a bit of commotion here at this very, very first church service. I'm of the view that the uh, 120 Christians here are gathering in the temple. Okay? Traditionally, we've, we've described it as the upper room. Okay? But uh, the upper room was a place where they were staying. Okay? They all slept there. But where they spent all their time, as Luke's Gospel and Acts says, was at the temple worshipping God. So where they were when the Holy Spirit came, it was a Jewish festival, there was thousands of people there in Jerusalem, they were Jewish people, so they were gathering at the temple. And that's why when Peter preaches here, there's at least 3,000 people who can listen to him, they're not stuck in a unit somewhere in the, in the suburbs. Okay, they're there at the temple, Holy Spirit comes, that's my point of view, and... I've offended some of you, so let's just move on. Verse 12, this crowd looks at what's happening. The apostles speaking in tongues, tongues of fire being on them, worshipping God. And it says, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what the heck does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and simply said, nah, these Christians, these people have just had too much wine. Too much wine. Now, we're all adults in the room. We know that there's three types of drunks. 
You can have a sad, mad, or glad drunk. Okay? If you've got a sad drunk, you don't tease them because they're sad. If you've got a mad drunk, you definitely don't tease them because they're aggro. But if you've got a happy drunk, that must have been something of what these people saw. They saw irrational happiness. This is at a festival where Jewish people are there celebrating. It's a happy festival. It's basically a public holiday. It's a long weekend. The, the festival of Shabbat or festival of weeks, we might call it. They were already happy and yet they're looking around at this group of 120 Christians and going, those guys are irrationally happy. That's how the church started. That was their first reputation. A group of people who were too happy. So Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning and there's no Australians here. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. Ooh controversial i will pour out my spirit in those days there will be and they will prophesy i'll show wonders in the heavens above things that make you wonder signs on the earth below signs that indicate something else is happening blood and fire and billows of smoke the sun will be turned to darkness the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the lord I have to hyperlink Back to Joel to know what that means. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They will be rescued. They will be made whole. With all the nuance and the poetry and the prophetic utterances here and the hyperlink back to Joel, as I suggested just now, the crux of Peter's message was this. It ended in his, why did he pick this scripture? He says, you're witnessing something and it indicates that there is salvation on offer to those who call upon the name of the Lord. Now, if you read Joel, the word there for Lord is God's name. Those who call on the name of Yahweh. And so Peter now changes gear. And he says, guess what other name this Lord goes by. Guess what name you need to call on to be made whole. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Everybody's seen Lazarus, okay? We all know he did miracles. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, Romans, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David even said about him, Psalm 62, I think it is, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, and my body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Two aspects of death. There's the decay of the human body and there's the realm of the dead. It's a spiritual realm. Okay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. This is what David sung. God is not going to let me die, said David. And then Peter says, is that really true? Fellow Israelites, 
I can tell you confidently the patriarch David actually did die. Uh, and he was buried. And his body rotted and was eaten by worms. And we took out his bones and put them in a little box and shoved it in the side of the tomb. And you can see that at tears to this day. It's all there in the Greek. <laughs> but he was a prophet when he said these words. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place his great, 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 great grandson on the throne. So seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of Messiah, that it was him who would not be abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor would his body see decay. It is this person that God has raised to life, Jesus, and we are all witnesses of it. Okay, so this is a real fancy term. But what Peter's saying, David's doing here, David's saying, you did not abandon me. You would not let me see death. And Pete's like, well, that doesn't make sense because David actually did die. <gasps> you know what David was doing? He was a prophet and he was using a rhetorical device called, <laughs> called prosopopeia. Got my new teeth, I don't know how to use them. And prosopopeia. And that's a rhetoric device where the author speaks in the first person, I, 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 but they're speaking on behalf of a character. They're putting themselves in their characters. So when David's singing this song, he's not actually singing about David. He's singing it. He's saying, I will not be abandoned. I will not be abandoned. And he's singing as Jesus. Okay, this is what we think Paul is doing in a controversial chapter in Romans. In Romans chapter 7, when he says, I was alive and then I died to the law. I, I died because the law came. And now I covet and I can't do what I really want to do. And I'm a sinner and I'm sold as a slave to sin. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And you read that thinking, Paul, you're a Christian, mate. That doesn't apply to you, surely. In chapter 6, you said you're dead to the law. In chapter 8, you said you're free from the law of death. So why in chapter 7 would you say, but I'm still trapped? Okay. What he's doing is he's using this rhetorical device called process of papaya, where he's putting himself in the shoes of somebody else saying that. Probably Israel or David, uh, sorry, Adam, same type of story. He's putting himself and he's speaking as that character. Peter's saying this is what David did a thousand years ago. He put himself in the shoes of Jesus and he prophesied, I will not be abandoned to the realm of the dead. Too much for one day? Where are we up to? Verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For it wasn't David that ascended to heaven, and yet David said, Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Psalm 110. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This is where the, the crux is getting to. Joel says, this is the day where if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Well, who is the Lord? He's the one that David promised. His name is Jesus and you killed him. You killed him. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to the Peter and the other apostles, what the heck have we done and what the heck do we do now? Peter replied, repent, change the way you think, change the way you think. You've thought a certain way about Jesus up till now and you need to change that. Change the way you think about Jesus because you were wrong. When you killed him, 
When you, let, you thought about him wrong, you need to change the way you think about Jesus. Repent and then do something, show that belief uh, manifests itself in behaviour. Be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Here it is, the topic of today. The whole crux of his message is coming to this. Do this, believe in Jesus, change the way you think about Jesus, live according to what he said, and there's something in here about the forgiveness of your sins. And if you do that, you too will receive the gift of Holy Spirit. This promise is not only for you, but it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God would call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, please, please, please save yourselves from this generation that is corrupt. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. For the forgiveness of sins. This is the crux, in a sense, of Peter's message, and the people were cut to the heart. It obviously resonated with them. So what sins, what did they think? Why were they convicted in that moment? What was it about Peter's preaching? Why did he choose those particular verses to say there's something about what Jesus has done that's made forgiveness of sins available to you and you guys are prime candidates for it, by the way, right now. They were cut to the heart. Well, those of you doing my video course and reading my book know that when you see a New Testament author quote the old, you're meant to imagine it as a hyperlink and go to where it tells you. And there's a consistent theme in the verses that Peter here is quoting. This dumb fisherman from out in the northern sticks is actually a very good theologian. And he's picking verses out of the Old Testament. It occurred to me at five o'clock this morning. He takes verses from the law, the prophets and the Psalms. Because when he says, save yourself from this corrupt generation, it's a quote from the law. It's a quote from the end of Moses' life, Deuteronomy 32, where Moses prophesies over God's people and says, in the future, there's going to be a future generation that is going to be so corrupt, they're not going to be my kids anymore. And that future generation, that corrupt generation, will actually reject the rock, their saviour. Do you know what the word saviour is in Hebrew? Reject the rock, Yeshua. Yeshua, what does that mean? Jesus. So literally, <laughs> 1500 years before Jesus, Moses says, there's a generation coming that's going to reject the rock, Jesus. And Peter says, that's you guys. Come out of that generation. Get out. Save yourself from that generation. He quotes the law. He quotes the Psalms. He's, that, um, that talks about the... Uh, uh, sorry, he, he quotes Joel. In the Joel 2 context, it's about pouring out the Spirit, followed by a day of the Lord where God would take vengeance on those who have mistreated the blood or shed the blood of innocent people. So if you read Joel... The day of the Lord is the day where God um, calls for justice on those who have shed innocent blood. What's Peter doing on the day of Pentecost? You killed Jesus. Uh, God demands justice for those who have shed innocent blood. He's hyperlinking to Joel. He's hyperlinking there to Psalm 110 where he says, Yahweh appoints a Lord and says, Sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. What's Peter saying? He's saying, listen... Don't remain God's enemies. So he uses the law, 
the Psalms and the prophets to reach these people and say, listen, at the moment, two or three witnesses are concluding this, you have been found guilty of something. Don't stay there. Don't stay in the place where you are found guilty. The good news is provision of forgiveness is available to you thanks to Jesus. Forgiveness is available. Your job is to receive it. Change the way you think about Jesus. Change the way you think about him and forgiveness is yours. Good news. Is that too much theology for one? That's not too much. That's fine. Keep going. Okay. Next chapter, Peter preaches again. He's at Gate Beautiful. He's uh, healed a lame man at the gate, singing, dancing, praising God. So many of you know the story. This man has experienced wholeness. Okay. When he's healed, he's walking, leaping, and praising God. Walking, physically healed. Leaping, emotionally healed. Praising God, spiritually healed. He's experienced salvation. He's experienced wholeness on that day. And Peter preaches to the crowd from verse 11. Here we are in chapter 3. It says this, While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called the Solomon's Colonnade. They're in the temple again. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why are you surprised? Why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk. Come on. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, even asking that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses in this. By faith in this Jesus, this man who you see and know, was made strong. It is Jesus' name, the faith that comes through him, that has completely healed him, wholeness, as you can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through the prophets, saying that this Messiah would suffer. Repent, then. Change the way you think about Jesus and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I, know, I, know, I need some interaction now. Your sins may be wiped out. Can you say wiped out? Wiped out. Wiped out. This is a, a Greek composite word, so two words put together. It's X something. Something means to wipe, and X means completely out, like Exodus. Okay, means completely away. The word there for wipe out literally means to completely remove and obliterate. To completely remove. Change the way you think about Jesus, that your sins, plural, may be completely removed and obliterated. It's the same word in the Greek Old Testament that they used when they translated Isaiah 43.25 when it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake, by the way, and remembers your sins no more. Blots out, another translation says, wipes away, same word, and remembers your sins no more. This is the word Paul uses in Colossians when he says that God cancelled the record of charges that were laid against us. He cancelled, he wiped them away, remembered them no more. 
in the first century, in the, or BC actually, the Romans invented, or they had this uh, thing called a wax tablet. iPad, nothing new about the iPad, okay? They had a wax tablet, it folded, and you had a stylus, it was sort of wax on the inside, you had a stylus with like an eraser type of end, a swipey end, and you could write on that, and then turn the stylus around and swipe it off. Okay, so this wasn't for permanent writing, this was for writing ideas or at the market doing calculations or whatever. You write and swipe. It's basically what I grew up with, like an extra etch-a-sketch. <laughs> Who had an extra etch, etch can't even say it today, etch-a-sketch. Etch, etch an etch-a-sketch. And where you draw something and then you swipe it away. Isaiah, Peter is saying that now here, Turn, change the way you think about Jesus. Because when you change the way you think about Jesus, your sins, plural, are wiped away. Wiped away. And I'll remember, Isaiah says, your sins no more. Still not convinced. In the next chapter, the third example is when Peter's... Uh, preaching again because we're focusing on Peter's preaching and uh, he's been arrested because he keeps preaching and they, they can't shut him up okay and uh, they bring him to the Sanhedrin the ruling council the political religious leaders of the day and it says there in, in chapter 5 the apostles were brought in they were made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name he said yet you have defied us. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. The church was born into civil disobedience as well as uh, irrational happiness. Verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than humans. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Stop making us guilty of this man's blood. Mm -hmm. You killed him. <laughs> I love it. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. That he might bring them to repentance and then forgive their sins? There's different types of translations of the Bible, you know this because you listen to me sometimes, and the more word-for-word -word translations don't say that they may turn to God, but God may forgive them, because it's not actually what it says there in the Greek. Forgiveness after the cross is not a verb that's something God might do. After the cross, forgiveness is written in the Bible as a noun. So if you look at that verse in a more word-for-word -word translation like the ESV, it doesn't say that God may get, let them repent so that he might forgive. It says to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. See, forgiveness of sins has been done. So giving repentance, giving forgiveness of sins, it's a noun. This is why you need different Bibles when you study. Peter... The point is, is very. Con What's the point, Chad? Is very consistent in his gospel proclamation. Three times, he has made the point as he preaches the gospel. Forgiveness of sins plays a major role in the good 
news of Jesus. Don't stay guilty. Don't remain in that place. Provision for forgiveness is available thanks to Jesus. Your job is to repent. Change the way that you see him. Now, those of you also reading my book and doing my course will maybe say, well, yes, that's consistent in what Peter's saying. But, Chad, you've not only got to consider the author, you've also got to consider the audience. Because the other thing consistent about what you've been showing us, Chad, is that... Is that the audience who he's speaking to are all Jewish people. So is this message only to those who are part of the Old Covenant community? Is forgiveness only good news to those who killed Jesus and were responsible for that? Is forgiveness only to those who were part of the prophecy of Moses 1,400 years earlier? Is forgiveness only for those who are under God's commands and laws given at Mount Sinai? Is the gospel good news of forgiveness for others? Is that a good question? I think that's a good question. I'll ask that question. So you keep watching Peter's preaching. In chapter 10, he speaks to a group of people that are not part of the Old Covenant community. He goes to a soldier's house, a man named Cornelius in chapter 10. And this is the message he brings to them in verse 34. Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God doesn't show favouritism. But he accepts from every nation those who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. God gave the Jewish people in Jerusalem a message. You know what happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We were there. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They killed him. They did, not you, because you're not Jewish people. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He wasn't seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by those of us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one who God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him. That everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And as he's speaking those words, the Holy Spirit did exactly what he did at Pentecost, came upon those non-Jewish people. They spoke in tongues. They prophesied. When he tells this story later to other people, and he says, I had a great ministry trip. You should hear what happened at Cornelius' house. He says this. He says, God actually didn't discriminate between us and them in Acts 15. He says, that day, when I spoke that message, he purified their hearts because they believed. In Acts 11, uh, as he tells this story, they praise God saying, so then even to non-Jewish people, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And you might think, Chad, what's the point? What, why are you dumbing this home? We're Christians. We know the gospel is about forgiveness for us. No, no, I want you to see this clearly today. The gospel of forgiveness is for all people. And whether it was those Jewish first century people that killed Jesus and were under the law of Moses, 
or whether it was those that were thousands of kilometers away and had nothing to do with it and weren't even part of that group. The gospel to them was the same. Forgiveness of sins is available to you. You've just got to change the way you think about Jesus. The gift of repentance, changing the way you think, the opportunity to do such a thing. And the gift of forgiveness as a noun, as something that's been done and is given to you, is available to all. Good news, great forgiveness for all people. And with that comes a new heart, a new start, a new slate. Etch a sketch. A new slate, a new beginning, an account that is wiped clean and the gift and promise of eternal life. The good news of great joy for all people is, among other things, the good news of total forgiveness for all. And so that this morning you should be able to say, that's for me. Because I'm all people. I'm all people. And I don't care if I'm African or Filipino or Irish or Scottish or English or a mongrel mix of whatever else. Good news of great and total forgiveness for all people. That's me. The Apostle Paul would develop this message as he carried his gospel. And he would emphasize something that Peter didn't. He would say this in Acts 13 when he preached on his first ministry trip. He'd say, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone, come on, say everyone. Everyone who believes is set free from little sins. Uh Huh? From every sin, sorry, I thought it was just little ones, is set free from every sin, every sin, a justification that you were never able to obtain under the law of Moses. To the Ephesians, to the Christians there, he says, in him, in Christ, we have right now redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins as a noun, you got it. In him, we one day will have... No, in him we have. You Christians there in Ephesus have forgiveness of sins. So the Colossians, he says this, when you were once dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, non-Jewish people basically, God made you alive with Christ. After all, he forgave us all our sins, plural, all our sins. Sins, plural. Some of you are waiting for a butt, and I'm not going to give one. <laughs> I don't like big butts, and I do not lie. <laughs> you brothers cannot deny that this is really good news. This is really good news. It is good news of great joy for all people. For all sins taken away. That was pretty subtle, wasn't it? (laughs) This happened 
At the cross of Calvary, when Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, took some wine as we did this morning and said, this blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And and on the cross, Jesus made that great announcement to people who hated him and said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Before they repent, before they even know they've done wrong, why they think they're doing the right thing, forgive them. Jesus announced forgiveness there at the cross and we on this side of the cross get to live in the full benefit and the provision of that. Jesus purchased, Jesus pronounced, Jesus proclaimed forgiveness prior to anyone repenting for it or anyone even requesting it. He paid the price and made it available, full provision for total forgiveness there at the cross. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. Come on. And I suggested earlier, as you read the scriptures, it is from the cross that the narrative, the key word, the narrative of forgiveness, the, the nuance, the way we understand forgiveness really does change. Because prior to the cross, forgiveness is mentioned uh, almost in the sense of being a conditional thing. There's all this stuff you've got to do to get it. There's these sacrifices you've got to do, uh, certain behaviours to receive forgiveness, even unintentional sin. Numbers 15 talks about non-deliberate sin or sin you don't even know. It's a just-in-case sacrifice. (laughs) Just in case, I better say sorry, just in case I did something. Numbers 15. After the cross, forgiveness is a gift received by faith when we change the way we think about Jesus, change the way we think about what happened at the cross. Before the cross, forgiveness is most always written as a verb, in order that he might forgive, in order that you may be forgiven. After the cross, forgiveness is almost always written as a noun, forgiveness, the gift of forgiveness. Before the cross, the need for forgiveness was perpetual, because sins kept being added to your account. So you had to keep on doing the sacrifices. Once a year, you needed a booster shot, right? You just needed to keep going to keep that sin being taken away from you. It was a perpetual need for sacrifices. Post the cross, it is once and done. One gift for all time. Hebrews says, you have been made perfect forever by the one sacrifice of good that happened at Good Friday. Good Friday is a good Friday because it's good news of total forgiveness and that forgiveness is for all people, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jew and Gentile equally have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but all are also justified freely by His grace that came through the redemption of Christ Jesus. He offered Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood that we may receive the forgiveness that David sung about but never had. When he said in Psalm 103, and this is quoted from Paul in Romans chapter 4, He said, oh, what joy, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. David sung this having never been able to experience it because God kept remembering his sin and kept saying, nah, because of Uriah's wife, that's going to happen. Because of Uriah's wife, that's going to happen. And yet David sung prophetically again of the, oh, blessed be the one that there is a future day coming where God, through a disobedience, will be forgiven and sins will be put out of sight. Yes, what joy, he goes on to say, for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. 
The NIV says, blessed are those who sin the Lord will never count. Come on, say count. Count against him. That's an accounting term, isn't it? Accounting. You count. You consider. Which begs the question, what is forgiveness? Both Greek and Hebrew, the basic definition of forgiveness is a cancelling of a debt. A cancelling or the pardoning of a debt. It's one of the reasons why Jesus, when he taught on forgiveness, used money as an illustration. That guy owed that guy money. And he said, I forgive you. You don't owe me anymore. Forgiveness is about the cancellation of a debt. And I like to, and I was asked to preach at a chapel once at a school, asked me to speak on forgiveness. I'm like, how do I do that with kids, you know? And then this phrase came to me. Forgiveness says... You hurt me, but you don't owe me. Forgiveness acknowledges that, yeah, yeah, okay, you hurt me, but you don't owe me. I'm not holding any debt against you. I'm not counting that against you. I'm not an idiot. I kind of know it happened. But I don't hold it against you. I'm not counting that. It's not in your account. When I look at you, I'm not counting that against you. Yes, you may have hurt me, but you don't owe me. Jesus on the cross. Hey guys, you hurt me, but you don't owe me. Father, forgive them. They don't even know. Don't even know what they're doing. The cross is the good news of God's divine declaration that yes, you may have wronged me, but you don't owe me. Your debt has been taken care of your account has been cleared. Your slate has been wiped clean. Your etch sketch is refreshed. Your case has been closed. And there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. Case closed. Case closed. No longer in the red. You are well and truly in the black. And that's a whole other message on what justification actually is. My friend Paul Ellis from New Zealand says, In him we have the forgiveness of sins. In him. You cannot be in Christ and be unforgiven any more than you can be in the ocean and be unwet. <laughs> you get in that pool, back to the baptism illustration, you get in. And you wet, man. You wet. You are in Christ. You are covered and saturated in his forgiveness. By the abundance of his grace, he has cancelled that which was against you. Now, what should we do about it? Praise. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see you smiling under those. Uh... Chad style. Let's do it. A, acknowledge the good news. And by virtue of the fact you've sat there with good listening ears for the last yeah, 10 minutes. <laughs> That's a good way to start acknowledging. B, don't just acknowledge it, believe it. 
believe it. And if you uh, have never believed that God has forgiven you, um, I would suggest that you're not a Christian if you've never believed that. Okay. But if you've never believed that, and today you're acknowledging it, you're hearing it, I'm going to encourage you to believe it. Change the way you think about Jesus. I don't know what you thought about him before. You probably did not hated him like the people that killed him. But if you've thought something about... If you've thought that Jesus was not significant or that maybe his death on the cross, well, it doesn't mean anything except you get hot cross buns at Easter or on Boxing Day, whatever. <laughs> Change the way you think about him because there is cosmic ramifications for Jesus' life and death and it should matter to you. And I want to encourage you, let it matter today. Believe, change the way you think about Jesus. He died for you. And there's something, and it's so difficult to explain it, it just needs to, in a sense, make sense in your heart to go, that was for me. I don't get it all, but I accept it. I believe it. I change the way I think about Jesus. And if you are a Christian today, I want to encourage you to believe it again. Yeah. And again, and again, and just keep believing it. Okay? We can all repent and believe. Repent just means change the way you think. And if your thinking's been getting onto other issues because we're thinking more about other things than forgiveness, then maybe you should just start turning around and start reminding ourselves of how good the gospel is again. Change the way you think about Jesus. Go back to thinking well and rightly about him. And specifically today, think about forgiveness properly. One sacrifice, all sins for everyone, that's me I believe in him today. C, cooperate with that belief. Let your belief affect your behaviour. Not to earn it, because it's already done. You're just believing, you're receiving a gift. But now that you receive it, live in it. Walk as if it's true. Think as if it's true. I've had to do that recently. <laughs> Think God's forgiven me, then I should probably forgive myself for something. Okay, so I had to do that recently. Thank God he spoke to me through numbers, walking up a hill, looked at the clock, 7.07. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. I need to forgive myself about something. Cooperate with it. You haven't been baptised? Get baptised. If you're not walking in a way that is free in the joy and the peace of God that forgiveness brings, start doing that. Believe and behave. Behave accordingly. And one of, the, one of the best things, one of the behaviours that should come, that will come, as you understand more and more forgiveness, is that you will be not holding grudges against other people. And Paul brings that up in both of his letters in Ephesians and Colossians, where he talks about you've been given forgiveness, and now that the Lord has forgiven you, it's the easiest thing in the world to forgive others. God doesn't hold anything against me. I'm not going to hold anything against anyone else. I'm cooperating with that truth. And I want to add a fourth point today so you get more than what you bargained for. <laughs> D. Declare it to others. Because this is good news, great joy for all Christians. It really is good news of great joy for all people. For all people. And I hope this works today. But I'd like us to make a declaration together and to read from the Scriptures a passage from the Apostle Paul 
that talks about how each of us is commissioned with a message of true forgiveness. Can you stand to your feet as the musos come? And we're going to read a scripture together. Either way, here we go. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And to that I say, Amen, Amen, and Amen. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.